Guys, take your Bibles. Let's go to Colossians. We are in Colossians this morning, our new book study. And uh, if you missed out last week, uh, last week's broadcast did record. And so go back and check it out. Uh, You can see it uh, and get the intro background of everything that's going on in the book of Colossians. And there's a lot of information that we covered last week. Very important to understanding uh, this book. And so uh, we would invite you to do that. Check that out. Help lay some good foundation. Uh, By the way, this evening we'll be talking in depth over some ice cream. And so I hope you're planning on joining us at the natural, what is it, uh, creamery. I never can get the name right. I just, easy for you to say. Simply, it's going to be great. That's all that really matters. (laughs) So I hope you're planning on coming out for that. 515 here if you want to convoy over. And then if not, just meet us out there around 6 o'clock. We have a room to ourselves for, at 6.30. And uh, we'll do our, our uh, combined care group out there. And even if you've not made one, guys, come make this one. I mean, come on. Ice cream? Really? So let's, let's plan on being there, be a part of that. Uh, last week we talked about Colossians. We talked about the author of this letter, the Apostle Paul. He is in prison. Now, I don't know about you, but... If you were in prison, you might be thinking of other things other than, you know, writing a letter uh, to people in the church, uh, but not Paul. Hey, look who's back! It's Maria! Woo-hoo! Sorry. Man. <laughs> you slipped out a while ago. I wasn't letting you get away with that, girl. Welcome home. We love you. Appreciate you, young lady. It's awesome to see you here with us. We knew something was up because we saw Tyson beaming when he came in today, so... It's good, really good to have you. Y'all love on her when you get a chance here uh, after service, but it's truly great having you back with us. So, Colossians, we're talking about Paul. He's in prison. He's writing letters, and uh, he wrote three letters during this time in Rome. He's under house arrest. So this isn't, you know, the ball and chain kind of prison, but this is a house arrest type situation. He had visitors that could come and go. Um, sort of a low-key house arrest, if you will, first-time offender, uh, for the sake of the gospel. And he wrote Ephesians, he wrote Colossians, and he wrote Philemon. Now that's important that you understand this. Ephesians addresses the body, the church. Colossians uh, approaches the head of the church, speaking of Christ having preeminence. And we asked you last week, does Christ have preeminence in your life? That's the point of that letter. Is He first place in everything? Is He front and center in all of your affairs, in your relationships, in your home, in your marriage, with your children, at school, at work? Guys, our life is not centered around you, yourself, and your desires. Our life as born-again believers in Jesus Christ, our life is Christ-centric. It should be centered around the things of God. Every morning we get up and take a breath, it's because of His grace. It's because of His goodness. It's because He desires for you to be an ambassador for Him, to be a representative. And so that's our motivation. That's our purpose. Christ is head. And uh, the body does what the head tells it. And if the body don't have a head, it's dead. Right? Oh, it could be a little bumper sticker right there. Anyway, um, so Colossians, Paul is writing this. Philemon is another letter that he wrote, and we talked about this last week. Philemon is a member of the church at Colossae. So here's this man in the church named Philemon. 
who had a slave named Onesimus. And Onesimus ran away. Well, guess who in God's providence he meets in Rome? He meets Paul. Paul leads him to Christ. He becomes a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. Paul finds out he's from Colossae. He has a good disciple in Colossae named Epaphras. Epaphras happens to be coming into Rome to visit Paul, to bring some encouragement, to tell him some good stuff that's happening at the church back in Colossae. And meanwhile, Paul is dealing with Onesimus saying, look, you got to go back. You got to go back and make things right with your master, Philemon. Now, Scripture never ever condones slavery. Go ahead and make that real clear, okay? God does not condone it. He simply addresses in the midst of. You know, we live in a crooked world. You know, we live in a fallen world. You know, we live in a perverse world. God addresses us as followers in how we're to live in such a world, right? And so he's addressing Onesimus and how he should live in the situation. And so when you read Philemon, that's going to help you better understand Colossians. That's why when you read Ephesians, you're going to better understand Colossians and Philemon. You understand how this fits together. This is important history, important background information. So you need to know these things. So that's some stuff that's going on. Those are some major players. We talked about that last time. And so let's go ahead and dive into the text this morning. And we're going to try and cover eight verses and see where we go. And so today we're going to be focusing on mainly, specifically, the gospel. And I want you to look as we read the passages this morning, the focus on the gospel. Notice if you would, verse 1, chapter 1 of Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to throw this up on the board here because this is where we're picking up today. So if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Father, I pray for the reading of your word, the preaching of your word, the teaching of your word. And Lord, I ask this morning that you will allow me to be a vessel fit for your honor. I pray that you will remove distractions from all of our hearts and minds and that Christ would have preeminence in the service today. Be front and center, Lord. Be exalted, Christ. Be lifted high in our midst. Draw us near to you. Help us look into the Word of God And Lord, may you have your way in transforming our thinking 
in transforming our heart and transforming our life for the cause of Christ. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So you'll notice here, again, not only is Paul writing under house arrest, there's somebody else with him, not just Epaphras, not just um, Onesimus. Did I say Philemon was with him earlier? If I did, I misspoke. Uh, Onesimus is with him, the slave. And so he's writing, but Timothy's also with him. And so you know, Timothy was a faithful uh, pastor as well, and he was a, uh, a, a disciple uh, of Paul's also. And so we find here in the text that Paul and Timothy uh, start off, and he wants to say on behalf of both of them to the church at Colossae, we give thanks. We give thanks for you guys. He also says that we're praying always for you guys. Notice again in the beginning of the scripture. He says that we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Guys, are you thankful? Just, just a little side note here, a little means of thinking through this text and application. You thankful for your church? Are you thankful for the believers here at Community Baptist Church? Do you give thanks often for the fact that we are blessed to be in a Bible-teaching church where there are those here in our midst who who love and desire to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, we've not arrived. We're not, we're not a perfect church by any means. You've heard the old saying, if you find a perfect church, don't join it or you'll mess it up. Look, we're messed up people. There is no perfect church. We need God's grace to grow us, to change us, to transform us. It's like the old preacher said, I know I'm not what I should be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. We're under construction. He's at work in us to change us. And our desire should be to allow God His rightful place in changing us. And so Paul and Timothy, right out of the gate, when they begin to write, they start off, I think they were the inventor of the, uh, what's the encouragement sandwich, you know, where you start, with a, you start with something nice, and then you give them maybe the tough news, the hard news, kind of really maybe what you're wanting to really talk about, and then you close it with some really nice saying. I don't know who came up with that, but I think Paul and Timothy may be practicing such right here, okay? That's good. That way it makes it a little, little easier to swallow, right? You know, you can eat it, even if it's bologna. In the middle. Anyway, this is no baloney here, though. I can promise you that. And so, but Paul comes out of the gate, and he does. He, he wants to identify first off, hey, let me give you some praise. Let, let, me, let me just start out of the gate. Because Epaphras has come and told him some good things. It's not like Epaphras fled to Rome to talk to Paul about all the problems alone. But no doubt, he did want to talk about uh, those problems. But he also wanted to highlight some good things that are going on. Guys, newsflash. Your pastor loves you, and oftentimes when I seek counsel from other pastors, I boast on you guys. When I go speak at other churches, I boast on you guys because I love my church family. We do some great things here, and I'm super proud to even be considered your pastor. And so I often brag on you. Um, but guess what? Just like me, I have my flaws. 
I know that comes hard, hard for some of you to believe. You know, I get a three-point sermon from y'all all the time. No, I'm just kidding. I don't really. Just one or two of you. Anyway, um, but I got my flaws. You got your flaws. But you know what the cool thing is? We're working together. We're growing together, right? You help transform me. I help transform you. This is what the body of Christ does. We work together. So Epaphras comes here, and he's got some concerns that he's seeing happening in the church. And I can tell you guys, as a shepherd, I get this. Epaphras may be the pastor of Colossae. He may have just been an evangelist who planted the seed in the church birth as a result of his evangelistic outreach, but I believe he's probably the pastor of the church. And as a pastor of the church, sometimes I believe God gives some type of discernment from the pastoral perspective as an under-shepherd to see things that maybe you don't see. And a lot of that is simply because I know a lot more of what's going on in this body than you do. And that's why it's always vital and important that we don't lend ear to gossip, right? And we definitely don't be the gossiper. You know how you stop a gossiper? You don't listen to them. If somebody is running down somebody else in the church or speaking negative of them or the pastor or pastors, we're not going there. That's what destroys churches. See it with spiritual eyes. Guys, we all have flaws. If you want me to highlight yours, that's not productive. If you want to highlight mine, that's not productive. We need to see with spiritual eyes. You're not my enemy. Newsflash. I'm not your enemy. But there's a real enemy who wants to shoot fiery darts at the church. And he wants to get in your thought process to turn you against those that love you. Be on guard for those things. See with spiritual eyes and recognize it for what it is. And bring those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Epaphras comes to Paul and Timothy not to tear down his church, even though they've got serious problems. They've got some serious issues going on. I mean, they've got false doctrine starting to come in, and Paul's going to address it because you have to address it. Hey, we got weeds growing out here in the field. Good, good analogy here. We've done a great job, praise God. There's a lot of work that's gone into getting this field ready for a future sports ministry. Um, Don Ottinger, a lot of you others have also spent some time and labor. He sort of spearheaded this project in recent go, uh, and, and, and there's a lot of good stuff happening. And again, I could run through the list of all you men that I'm looking at right now that have put some sweat and time and tears in it. Ladies, too. And look, it's coming along good, but guess what we got out there right now? We got some weeds coming up. And so I met with Prison the other day. We've got some things that are being done. We're going to address the weeds because you got to address the weeds. We're going to get the weeds up. Got to get them weeds out. Got to clear it out, right? If you clear the weeds out, you're going to have a lot more fruit being produced and we're going to have ourselves, Lord willing, a, a good field. Guys, it's no different in life. It's no different in a church. It's no different in your walk. Sometimes weeds start to poke up, right? Sometimes the cares of this world begin to choke out the gospel of Christ. Some things try to take your distraction. Sometimes, sometimes they try to bring division, try to, to bring separation between the good seeds that's been planted on good soil. We can't. we got to guard against that. we got to treat that. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is a great reminder to all of us that when we're unlovable, Christ loved us and gave himself for us. 
You know, I know I'm not sometimes the most lovable guy. But guess what? You're not either. But I love you anyway. Praise God for that grace, right? I know I'm happy that you love me when I'm not lovable. So I'll have ice cream with you tonight and we'll just call it even. How about that? Guys, Paul is, one of, is writing to these people at Colossae to start off with encouragement. And that's what he does in the beginning. He gives thanks for them. And he says, I'm praying for you always. Pray for one another. Do you pray without ceasing? Is there a constant line in connection with God? Hey, personal set-aside time, intimate prayer, that's awesome. We need that, and absolutely, that's something we can cultivate and should cultivate and work at. But a continual Christ consciousness, maybe that's a good way to look at it, where my thoughts are in a constant connection with the Lord. That at any given moment, I'm, I'm, I'm pumping gas at the gas station and, and I, I see somebody who, who pulls up beside me and the Spirit of God sort of gently nudges my heart to give him a gospel track. Well, I'm in a hurry. i got to hurry up and get to whatever. And I, I, I kind of quench that. I, I quench that. And I get in my car and go on. That's not good, is it? No, no, no. In those moments, Lord, help us. If I'm in an attitude of prayer, this attitude of Christ consciousness, and that thought hits me that I need to do that because the Spirit of God is prompting me. I don't know this guy. I don't know anything about him. But God knows everything about him. And who knows what God's been doing in preparing the soil for the seed that's sitting right there in my console. So I put it on automatic gas. I lean in and I grab a... Hold on, hold on. I grab a true life card and I say, here you go, sir. Get a chance to check this out. On the back is an awesome website. It's called truelife.org. It's got free video answers to life's hard to answer questions. Have a good day. I keep pumping my gas. That wasn't that hard, was it? But for some of us, we've yet to give out one. Come on, people. That's simple. That's a simple seed. There's a lot of grass seed that went out there in that field. A lot of grass seed went out into that field. If I only sowed one grass seed in that field, it's going to be looking like alfalfa's head. Some of y'all don't know who alfalfa is. Look him up later. It looked like Holton Harrison. He ain't here today, is he? All right. I love Mr. Holton. That's why I said that. Guys, praying always. Keeping this constant attitude of prayer in our hearts and minds before the Lord because we never know where God's leading and how He's good. So we need to be sensitive to the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And so Paul and Timothy are saying, hey, look, we're giving thanks to you, church of Colossae. We're praying for you. But why are Paul and Timothy able to give thanks and pray always? Because, look, let's just be honest. I, I don't know if they were able to give a lot of thanks when they wrote the letter to the Corinthians. At least that first one starts off, there ain't a lot of thanksgiving for him on their behalf. Uh, you know, and, uh, there were some problems going on there, right? He couldn't necessarily have the same attitude of encouragement there that he has here with the church of Colossae. Though Colossae is heading towards a destructive path. He's trying to curb that before he gets there. But why are Paul and Timothy able to give thanks and pray always? Notice what the text says. We always thank God. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ. This is why they're able to pray. 
This is why they're thankful. They're thankful because of their faith in Christ. These Christians have faith in Jesus Christ. They believe in the Lord. They've not yet been moved away from this. And what I mean by that is simply this. Again, the false gospel was creeping into their community. The paganism, the Judaizers, the mystical teachings that were coming around, circulating in Colossae and the surrounding region because of their location and the time and age in which this was being written. By the way, somewhere around... um, 60, 61, 62, 63, somewhere around. Probably more like 61, 63 A.D. And so there's a lot going on in this area. And so this false gospel was going to come into the church. And if not careful, that little leaven would leaven the whole lump. And before long, that church would become apostate. And it would close its doors. And the true believers would be left wondering to find a place where they could anchor again. Guys, that happens all the time in society. It's happening at alarming rates in North America today. Paul is thankful for brethren of like-minded faith. And so no doubt in this letter, he's wanting to address those like-minded brethren. Guys, I can't tell you how important it is that when we partner together with other churches, and we do, Freedom Baptist is one of those churches we partner together with. Why do we partner together with them and not some other church? They're like-minded. Yeah. They're like-minded. We're on the same page. We understand the things doctrine. The Bible says it's good for men to dwell together in unity. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? When you read through the book of Acts, it says they were in one accord. And it's not speaking of the Honda. They were in one accord. They were like-minded. Right? That's important that we're on the same page. That doesn't mean somebody else at another church down the street isn't our brother and sister in Christ. You've heard the analogy over and over again. They may be the left foot we may be the right hand. And so there's a different function, a different place. But I can tell you, this thumb is certainly glad it hangs out with these four guys. They get along well, by the way. They work together good, right? Hey, what about us? We're the body too. Shh, you guys stink. Anyway, that's just because they wear a sock. All right, moving on. Your love for one another. This is another thing. He says, look, We're able to give thanks. We're able to pray always because of your faith in Christ, but also because of your love for one another. Can that be said about us, Community Baptist Church? If Paul's writing to us, hey, CBC and LaGrange, me and Timothy, man, we give thanks for you guys because of your faith in Christ. You're like-minded. You're on the same page when it comes to doctrine, when it comes to the things of Christ. And because of your love, one for another. You know, the Bible says this is how they will know you. Jesus said this is how they will know you are my disciples. Because of your love, one for another. This isn't a sentimental love too. We live in a day where it's a sentimental love. Strike up the violins. Where's Felipe when we need him? You know, and it's an emotional sentiment. We, 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 we're confused about what real love is because of what we see on television. Eros, the erotica, the, the sensual. The, and so the fact that it's the sensuality, as we talked about in Jude, has crept into the church. And so we get more in love with Jesus because we play an hour and a half of one song of Hillsong and rock back and forth, you know. And somehow that's love. That's worship. 
Guys, love is grounded in commitment. Because I can assure you, mommies in the room, there's a lot of days you wake up and you really don't feel like, I don't feel like changing some stinky diapers today. I don't feel like dealing with that child that's been crying all night because they're colicky. I feel like pulling my hair out. That's what I feel like doing. And the daddy ain't helping none because he's been saying, keep that baby quiet, I'm trying to sleep. Now I know none of you men would do that. You love your child. And sometimes even when you don't feel like it, you do it. Because there's a commitment, there's a bond, there's an understanding. You would give anything and everything. You'd lay down your life because you love this child. Guys, we've got to get this sentiment, emotional idea of love, this eros, pleasurable feeling that's, that's a sensual out of our mind. Now, that's not to say that's not a part of it, but we've anchored to that. And that's a, that's a, drifting, that's a drifting more that's just going to lead us out there into what he's going to address. And we're anchored to the truth. And sometimes when we love people in truth, we have to share things that they don't want to hear. They don't like it. And then they, they may see us as, as something we're not. Because we care enough to share the truth. Sharing the truth will not help you be the most popular person in the room. I promise you that. Ask Jesus. It got Him crucified. But our love for one another is something that's important. Being like-minded, recognizing that the local church is a place where the saints gather to be edified, to edify one another, to be equipped to do the work of the ministry, and to evangelize. And Paul knows this based upon the testimony of Epaphras. Because Paul's not been to this place yet. See, it's kind of cool when Paul writes this letter, he starts off out of the gate establishing who he is in Christ. And he identifies himself immediately as an apostle. Why did he do that? Because he's going to take on these false apostles, these false people bringing in these destructive doctrines. And so he is saying, I'm writing with authority from God himself. And if you look at that text closely, you can go back in there when I, when I share this, go in there and see if it's not true. Look for the Father, look for the Son, and look for the Holy Spirit. He established the Trinity right here in the opening Greeting, which is, a, again, a, a, a subtle, not-so-subtle um, defense against those false teachers who were seeking to denigrate the deity of Christ. So, this is one of the things Paul and Timothy are giving thanks for. This is one of the things they're happy about. This is why they're able to give thanks, because of their faith in Christ and because of their love uh, for one another. By the way, Galatians 6.10 is a good passage of Scripture for us to internalize, guys. Remember, we don't memorize, we internalize. Look at this passage. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. 
And that's a great passage, isn't it? I mean, you talk about sort of a, a marching orders for community. Hey, we've got opportunity to do good to all, right? And when we have those opportunities, we seek to do those things. But even more so, the household of faith. Guys, there are needs in this church. We need to be sensitive to those needs. We need to be willing to help in time of need. And for the most part, we, we do. But this is something we can't lose sight of. This is what sets us apart from the world. Now look, the world will do some nice stuff. They help their neighbors. You see a tragedy come through, man? Believers, unbelievers, everybody out there working. You know, you, they're, they're doing things. Guys, this is something that is a part of who we are. And so therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially, especially to those who are of the household of faith. One thing I take out of this from reading Colossians, you, you cannot be for God and against the church. You guys have met these people. I've met these people. You've worked with these people. You, these people have been your neighbors. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, me and God, we're, we got, we're good. Me and God are good. It's the church I got a problem with. Anybody heard something like that before? You know, I, yeah, I, I got, I, I, me and Jesus, yeah, we got our thing going on. I, I, I have communion with him every time I'm out in the deer stand or out on the, out on the lake fishing or on the golf course. That's where I spend my time with God. I just, I just got a real problem with the church. Newsflash. Then you're not serving the same God of the Scriptures. Because the God of the Scriptures loved the church. Jesus Christ loved the church and gave His life for her. Ephesians chapter 5. Check it. Don't take my word for it. Jesus' death, burial, resurrection was for the believer to come together in forming the local church. This is God's plan. And so if you're not for the church, then you're not for God's plan. Plain and simple. This is what the Scriptures teach. All the New Testament letters that are epistles written to pastors and written to churches and written to individuals who are members of churches. It's a local church focus. Guess what, Christian? That should be our focus. The local church is a place that we gather to be equipped so that we can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, so that we can learn what our spiritual gifts are, so that we can utilize them in the midst of ourselves, to build up one another, to do good to one another, especially the household of faith, and then to implore those in ministry and seeking the lost out there, reaching people for the cause of Christ. And when we don't gather, every time we miss, we miss an opportunity to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. To hear what God is doing in the midst of Community Baptist Church. Now notice what I didn't say. I didn't say what the false teachers who are creeping into Colossae are saying. They're saying church traditions and religions and practices of men over Christ. What I'm saying is preeminence of Christ in your life will lead to the things of Christ one of which is not forsaking 
the assembling of yourselves together. Because you recognize and understand when Christ is preeminent in your heart and life that the heart of God becomes your heart. The desires of your heart are changed because your desires are no longer about building your kingdom and self-centered to becoming Christ-centered. And what would you have me do, Lord? Here am I, Lord. Send me. That's the plea and desire it's always been for the follower of Christ. Read through the New Testament how oftentimes Christ calls people to follow me. And so I encourage you as a pastor, not in a religious way, but in a relational way. I love gathering with my family at home. I love it when we get together over a meal and we sit together. By the way, we've adopted Josie. He's in our house now. Not technically, but, but, but I love it when we all sit around the table and we eat. And we talk about things of God. I like it when there's conversations, we're watching some television program, and, and, and there's an opportunity, a redeemable quality. It may not be a spiritual show. It might be the most brain-freezing show we could probably watch. It's mindless, meaningless, and stupid. But you know what? Boom! There was a moment that's redeemable. And so in that moment, we can say, hey, guys, you know what just happened there? That's something that the Scripture teaches us or warns us about, or blah, 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 blah. And it's a teachable moment. Lord, help us all to find redeemable qualities in life. Help us, Lord, all to become so Christ-centered, so enamored with the things of God that our relationships with one another are Christ-centered. So that when we have opportunity to do good, we seize those moments. When we have opportunity to come together and build up one another, be equipped to do the work of the ministry, we don't forsake those opportunities but that Christ would have preeminence that's an important thing Paul and Timothy also are writing because of the hope to come notice what it says here verse 5 so they're they're giving thanks they're praying always because of the faith in Christ but also because of the hope to come. I want you to notice this here in verse 5, what it says. It says, um, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. Because of the hope to come. Notice in the past, he says, I heard about your faith. They believed in Jesus. Notice in the present, they express that faith in love for others. He said, another reason why I'm thankful, another reason why I'm praying is because your love for one another. And that's going on presently. And so then, he also addresses not only the past, the present, he also speaks to the future. He says, in the future, there is this hope. By the way, this isn't hope like, well, I hope it rains next week. Brother Don, I've been hoping it would rain for a long time. But that's a different kind of hope, right? Praise God, though, we did get some good rain. We needed it. You know what? It's a different kind of hope. This is, a, this is when you see hope in the Scriptures, this is, this is a confident assurance because the object of your faith is what gives you the confident assurance. I'll, I'll never forget reading uh, Mark Cahill's book, and he speaks in this book about how, uh, and I'm just going to paraphrase here, that there's this, this lake that's this beginning to freeze over. 
and people would go ice skating out on this lake. But in, in November, when it starts to, to freeze over, in the beginning, it's just a real thin layer of ice on this lake. Now, how many of you, when you see this little thin, and you can see the water under it and bubbling, and, and, and how many of you would be willing to, to actually take maybe a snowmobile across that lake in that moment? Probably not many of you would not be very smart if you did. You'd be skating on thin ice. But imagine you wait till January when it's a hard, solid, thick, frozen, where it looks almost like a white ground. Now your confidence in taking that snowmobile across it is increased. Why? The object of your faith is what gives you the confident assurance. Guys, our hope is in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Christ has paid our debt. So for us as believers in Jesus Christ, I know my sin has been removed and cast as far as the east is from the west, no more to be held against me. I recognize that when this body goes to the grave, because of who Jesus Christ is, my confidence and assurance is not in me and the things I do or don't do, but in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And He has given me the promises. He has given me the assurances. He has kept His word. And He will keep His word. And so when you look at these false teachings that were coming into Colossae, that's thin ice. Oh, you need Jesus plus keeping the traditions of the Jews. That's thin ice. Oh, well, maybe some mystical things here. You know, you need to light some candles and, uh, and, and begin to, to pray and, and invite the angels to, 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 to guide you. Mysticism. That's thin ice. Well, Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. And, and you need to kind of get some knowledge and, and, and kind of step out of this teaching and, and we can lead you to higher knowledge and wisdom, Gnostics, thin ice. But the truth of the gospel, that's solid. That's solid. And so, because of the hope to come, they're able to give thanks, they're able to pray. Now notice the gospel. This is front and center in this passage of Scripture. And so now they turn the attention to the gospel. Notice what happened in verse 5. They heard. Let me read these passages as we click through this. Notice the, the progression here centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you... Uh, let me go back over here. I want to read this. Check this out. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit. Paul's wanting to say, hey, look, guys, the gospel that came to you in Colossae, it's spreading and it's bringing fruit everywhere it goes, which has come to you as it has also in the world. Since the day, here it is, since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned... From Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. 
Now, I like what Paul and Timothy have done here. They're focusing on the gospel of Jesus Christ. They said, look, we know. We're, we're thankful. Man, we're giving thanks. We're praying always for you because we know your faith in Christ. We know your love for one another. And we know this hope that you have in the future. And by the way, this gospel that Epaphras brought to you is also being spread throughout the world. And there's great fruit coming forth from it. And notice what he did here again. I believe Paul builds up Epaphras, the local pastor of that church, evangelist, whichever he was. He was definitely a prominent player in Colossae. But I believe a pastor here. He's building him up to his congregation. Why is that important? Because you can rest assured, anytime there's a false philosophy, a, 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 an idea, a, a, a thought that's anything that's contrary to the truth. Notice what I said, that's contrary to the truth, such as what you're seeing in Colossae. Paul is wanting to lay some firm foundation. Number one, Jesus Christ, as heard through the gospel. By the way, the man who brought you that truth was Epaphras, and he's a faithful man of God. You, you've met people before, and you know, you're talking about a path. Oh, man, that guy's solid. You've heard that kind of saying, right? And I think that's what Paul's doing here. He's vouching for the credentials because he's an apostle. He's got that authority. He says, look, I'm vouching for this Epaphras. Epaphras is not here bad-mouthing you. He's, he's here, you know, again, trying to seek wisdom. And you need to know when it comes to these other false teachings and teachers that are trying to lead people away or undermine, or murmur, or complain, or gossip, these type of things that creep into the church, the weeds that we were just talking about, that kind of begin to grow, you got to treat it. And this is how he treats it. He says, look, you can trust this faithful minister. I've called him to you. God has. God has called him to you. And so this is being established here. He says... The gospel, you heard it. Church, have you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you heard the good news? By the way, this word used here, the evangel, this was a, a, a victory cry. When there was a battle, a great battle, and the victory was won, they would herald this. We won! Victory! Not freedom. Victory! Yeah, but freedom too. Guys, victory is ours. The good news, Jesus Christ has defeated death, Satan, and hell. We have the victory. We're going to live forever. The victory is ours. Amen? That's good news. You heard this. You heard the good news. Now he says, you knew this. Do you know this? I mean, you've heard it. I think a lot of people at Community Baptist Church have heard it, but I just wonder how many of us know it. You know there's a difference in hearing it and heeding it. You know there's a difference in intellectually knowing about it and understanding it. Somebody said the difference between heaven and hell is 18 inches. The gospel must sink here to the splagmata, the splagma, the, the, the core being of who you are, the very essence of who you are. Has the gospel gripped you in a place that you understand? We got the victory. I got the victory. Hallelujah. We need to learn that song. Anyway, not for me though. <laughs>
They knew the gospel. Then notice what it said in verse 7. They learned the gospel. Woo, we got to do some learning, y'all. We got to do some learning up in here. It's not enough to just know the gospel, hear the gospel, know it. it we got we to learn it, man. We got to learn it over and over and over and over. Why? Because it's the very essence of truth that does set us free. It's not only the power to deliver us from the penalty of sin, but from the power actively presently in our life of sin. And eventually that hope in the future to, to finally deliver us from the presence of sin. we got to learn the gospel. And then notice verse 8, church, we got to declare it. You see, the, the, the people of Colossae, Papyrus has come back and he's declaring to Paul and Timothy the, their love in the Spirit. Okay, that's evidence of the regeneration. That's evidence of the transformation. That's evidence in the life of those believers that they've understood the gospel. And so, again, this fruit, this bearing around the world that Paul and Timothy are declaring, we need to declare the same truth, guys. We need to be declaring the gospel. Wherever we go, wherever, the, wherever our feet take us, we take the good news with us. And he speaks of the hope to come. Notice, if you would, where it comes from. Second part of verse 5. Where does it come from? He said, it comes from, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the world, in the word of the truth, the gospel. You know where it comes from? It comes from the truth. It comes from the truth. This hope that they have comes from the truth. What the gospel does. Verse 6. Notice what the gospel does. Which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit. You know what the gospel does? It brings forth fruit. Church, are you bearing fruit? Is your life bearing fruit? Paul said, examine yourself, see if you're in the faith. Lord, help us to be a fruit-bearing church. This is what the gospel does. And if we're not bearing fruit in our life, then we need to revisit the gospel presently in our life. And Lord, shine that gospel light upon our hearts that we might die to self, that we might lay down what needs to be laid down. We might set aside the sins that so easily beset us, whatever the situation the gospel is the answer. First John, or John, I'm sorry, John 1, 12 through 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is what the gospel does. The gospel makes you children of God. You know something awesome? Over in 1 John, and we'll try and talk about this maybe tonight, we'll look at this. But over in 1 John, he talks about uh, not only does this make you the children of God, God is at work to transform you to be like the Son of God. See, that's God's desire is that we might mature, we might grow in the grace and knowledge that we would become more like His, His Son. 
This separates us from legalists. We don't do to order to be. We don't do in order to be. Because it's done, we can now do. You understand that difference, right? And because it's done, and because we have the victory, and because we recognize its impact and transformation power, that should cause a desire within my heart to delight in the things of the Lord, to want to do the things God has called me to do. And that's where holiness is more important than happiness. We live in a day where you want to be happy. Oh, who don't want to be happy? Hey, anybody want to sign up to be unhappy? Come on, anybody? Come, come now, won't you come? But guys, happiness is based on our happenings, and when our happenings aren't happening, it's gone, it's done, and we're miserable, and we're, we're wondering what's wrong and what's going on. And, but if we'll focus on holiness, the transforming power of the gospel in our life, there's joy, there's peace. It passes understanding when the storms are hitting and I don't know what's going on. I don't know why this is happening. But God, I'm trusting you and I'm holding on to you. And that, those pressures on the outside that begin to crush and, and begin to irritate and begin to sp just spur us on to good works. That's Hebrews. Like a pearl in an oyster and an irritant that sand just wears on you. By the way, that was in the context, if you read Hebrews, of the gathering of the saints together. Sometimes it's irritating you. It's kind of funny, but it's in the text. But the end product is a pearl. Sometimes we get rubbed wrong because what God is actually doing is trying to purify us. He's trying to make us a precious gem. He's trying to better us to be more and more conformed to the image of His Son. Oh, let patience have its work. The hope to come. I need to wrap this up. Well, where it comes from, we talked about what the gospel does and who delivered the message. And we see that in verses 7 and 8. Again, we see Epaphras. And I'll just skip through this. Who delivered the message? It was Epaphras. And we see Paul and Timothy writing to them. They are faithful ministers. You have an apostle. You have a pastor. You have an evangelist. These are faithful ministers. And there's also faithful brethren. Notice that word in 7 and 8. This is seen in this text. In the first opening eight verses, you see faithful ministers and you see faithful brethren. And guys, here at Community Baptist Church, that's what it's going to take. It's going to take us being faithful. Pastors, it's going to take us being faithful ministers. By the way, you're all called according to Scripture to be ministers of the gospel. And it's going to take faithful brethren. A love for one another. In spite of our preferences, in spite of our agreements and disagreements, we love one another. Amen? So here's our application. Give thanks. Give thanks. Pray always. Pray without ceasing. Be known as people of faith, hope, and love. By the way, that's in this text. That was almost my title, by the way, Faith, Hope, and Love. But I said, eh, everybody goes with that title probably. But it's in there, Faith, Hope, and Love. Be known as people that do that. Love the brethren. Love the local church. 
I love my wife. I love my kids. Sorry, guys. I'm busy. I can see you in two weeks. Adios. Get with you next month. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilted. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm simply trying to plead. Apostle Paul says, I beg you. I urge you, brethren. By the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. I know it's going to take some sacrifice. I know that means some of us are going to have to give up some things that right now have a priority. And it's an important thing. I'm not saying it's not an important thing. But that's part of sacrifice. That's part of the preeminence of Christ. It means sometimes not choosing what's right or wrong. It's choosing what's best. And best is Jesus Christ. When it comes to the gospel, hear it, know it, learn it, declare it. Let me share this closing illustration. I shared this with the deacons last week because my heart's been burdened about the local church a lot recently. I've been praying a lot for you guys. I've been doing a lot of soul searching myself. And something pretty awesome happened the other week. You, know, you take it for what it's worth. My wife and I, some of you know, we've been doing a remodel project that was supposed to take five days, and now we're started in May, and now we're in August. But it's going to be done Monday. <laughs> anyway, that's what they're telling me. We'll see. We had to get this door the other day, a uh, shower door. This is over 200-pound shower door. Well, big burly guy up at Lowe's, oh, me and him got this no problem loading it in. Yeah, have a good day. Get home and realize, oh, how am I going to get this in the house? This is a heavy load. I can't carry this by myself. My wife, being the awesome helpmate that she is, she says, I'll help you. Well, me and her quickly learned that that probably wasn't going to be the best idea. This is glass. It's going to break. If we drop it, I mean, we can't, you know, this is, this is a heavy load. We don't need to do this ourselves. So, you know what was pretty awesome? My whole family. I get my whole family out there. And by the way, it wasn't really optional. <laughs> I mean, the job had to be done, right? The job's not going to, the door's not going to carry itself in there, guys, right? So, as a father of the house, I have the right, in, as God has entrusted me, to organize this gathering. And so my kids come out. Now listen, Josie's been living with us. Josie would have been the perfect. Me and him could have done it probably no problem. Maybe me, him, Luke, Allison. We could have handled it no problem. But Josie had to work. And I don't fault Josie for working. Josie was where he needed to be. That, that, I had no problem that Josie was... That's what Josie had to do. He had to be at work. He could not be there. Follow me? He could not be there because he was at work. Even though if he would have, that would have been a good fit. But you know what? The family as a whole recognized I couldn't do it by myself. And so we all gathered around. And guess what? We picked that puppy up and we began to carry it. And then I learned as we're all working together carrying this thing in, that the two little ones really were kind of getting underfoot. And so it was better for them to pull away, not actually stay involved. But you know what they did? They didn't just go in the house and sit. They actually found something they could do. One of them got the door and held the door open. Another one went and got something that we could set it on so it could slide across the floor. Everybody in the household 
did something so that the load wasn't heavy and man, oh man, we got that job done. Amen? And it hit me. Wow! God, that's awesome! If the household of faith works together, we're going to get this job done. That's what He designed. That's the way He commanded it. He understands when you can't be there. But I don't think the problem is I can't be there because I'm working. I think it's because we need to revisit the gospel and Christ needs to become preeminent in our heart and life so that we're willing. Because my kids were willing, even though they weren't fit for that position, they found something to do. There's a place for all of us. And that's God's Word if you're part of the family of God. And so it's declared the gospel. We are called to be faithful. Faithful ministers. Faithful brethren. Today's True Life Sunday. Grab some cards. Be faithful sowing the seeds. We need to get a lot of seeds out there. And we got opportunity to do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the truth that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we were unlovable, you loved us. While we were still yet in our sin, Christ died for us. And yet, Lord, you call us apart from the world. You call us to come out be separate. You ask us to be faithful in hearing that gospel, in knowing it, learning it. Lord, help us to declare it. Lord, we have opportunity at community, many, many opportunities of discipleship, growth in the truth as Paul is going to transition in this letter to addressing those who've crept in and are bringing destructive teachings. Lord, guard us at community from that. Help us to stay like-minded on the truth of your word. Lord, help us to realize that even when we disagree that we're able to do so in love that we use your word as our guide. Not our feelings, not our emotions, but your truth. Lord, if we have aught against another, let us go to them. Your word tells us that. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. The word tells us that. Before we bring our gift to the altar, go and reconcile with your brethren. Your word tells us that. Lord, may we apply these types of truths. Help us to live out our faith, not as just because we need to do, but Lord, recognizing it's done and your grace is sufficient. And Lord, I pray if there be anyone here that's never surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, Lord, let today be their day of salvation. Let them realize that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord.
May they surrender their heart and life this day. 